This is Mark Kermode. Welcome to BAFTA Podcasts. Without too much of a delay, I'm going to pass on to our wonderful panel for brief introductions. And the setup of today, it's really looking at case studies of the uh, creative budgets that they put together for their short films. We'll then have an ample time for questions and answers. So on your seats, you've got postcards if you want to jot down questions and obviously ask them. And if there are any questions which we don't manage to answer here, uh, you're most welcome to pass them on to Caroline and Sarah, and we'll make sure that uh, we get them answered afterwards. Okay, so I shall start from Alex, um, right in the middle. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Very good to be here and to um, uh, have a chance to introduce a film that we made a few years ago called One Hundredth of a Second, which is listed here as a macro-budget film, Um, The reason being that it is also the biggest budget that we ever had to spend on a short film. Um, I thought I'd like to um, start off by showing you the film first and then talking you through the production process and how we got there and um, and what the film is still doing today. Uh, Just quickly, an introduction to me. Um, We founded our company, Pistachio Pictures, in 1999 with the production of our very, very first short film, we wanted a home for the short film. We wanted a vehicle to, to hold the rights and to make sure that the short film didn't just get made and get lost again. Um, we have, over the years, made films in pretty much every single format, ranging from short films, commercials, music videos, and most recently feature films, which was where we always wanted to be. And that was very much the focus from our very first short film. It took, it took a, f- a couple more short films than we actually expected it would take to get us there. Um, but last year, Susan Jacobson's feature film, The Holding, was released by Lionsgate in the UK and has just released in France and is releasing around the world. So um, why I believe in short films is that I completely see the connection between short films in any format and feature films in the cinema as well. Um, so let's if we could start off by showing you the film. It's a five-minute short. So I met Susan Jacobson, the director of that film, um, which I hope uh, worked for you as a short. Uh, we were both running on at Pima Studios on run on dramas and feature films, and um, we're really keen to make our own movies, and that's how it all started really it's a, a creative partnership that's that's you know gone gone on over 10 years and is still very much um part of my working life um we had the, a bit of background to one hundredth of a second we had made a short film before that called bushido the way of the warrior which we also felt was it was very um it was very finished it was very professional it done well at festivals we had um uk film council at the time completion funding uh for the film and we thought that actually we were already set for feature films but the industry didn't seem to agree so it was back to the drawing board we thought okay we'll make one more short film this will be our showreel for feature films this will get this will be, this will be the one that takes us there um, what was really interesting was that you know even in spite of having a track record it was still like we were back at zero again so there was no real we thought we, we might be a dead cert for funding here or for our, fi- for our financiers who'd come on films before to come back on board it felt very much like we were back to zero, and I think that that's something that I felt um, every time when I'm starting a new production. It, you're back to zero 
you're selling yourself and your project um, 100% every time. And it was on this one that we learned the importance of making sure that you are as professional as possible and that you have all sorts of documents in place to support that. We knew we wanted to make a short film with a high production value. We wanted to make a film that was going to really sell <coughs> our talents and the talent, and also importantly the talents of the team that have worked with us on the other short films and projects before and um, who are very much a part of what we do. And so we created a booklet at the time which basically included production budget, um, synopsis, <coughs> images, um, the, the idea behind the story which was based on a novel called The Bang Bang Club, which uh, had come out, which was, which was about photojournalists in South Africa in, um, in the early 90s. And the rights to that novel had gone. They, they, they were being made by a producer. So we thought, well, let's, let's take the idea, transfer it to um, something that's fresh and relevant today and, um, and make a film that's very universal. Um, just to quickly run through what we have here in terms of you know what we were trying to do, we wanted to shoot on Super 16 um, because that's uh, that that was a particular request in terms of the look and the grade. Uh, we didn't feel digital would give us what we wanted at the time. Um, we at that point had to raise we raised the finance for the film to shoot it and get it to offline um, pretty much privately initially, and didn't know at that point although we were. Certainly, having good conversations with post-production companies and with the film council, whether we'd actually get any finance to complete the film. But the idea was to make a film that was so good that we'd be able to um, sell sell the rest of it to complete it. Um, looking ahead, the film um, had a, has had an amazing response, both when it came out, but also still today. We still get requests from. Uh, all over the world asking to screen the film and I think it's useful to sort of look at a few reasons why that film might why, why this film is, is still alive very much alive today um, this is the one okay so we started off with the goal to make a short film that would be a showreel piece um, we spent a long time on the script we even spent some of our very very high, uh, valuable development finance on a script editor to help us out with making sure that the story was as precise as possible. Um, one reason for this, we, our, our film before this had been 12 minutes, we felt that that was slightly long, we felt that under 10 minutes was a very good time to bring a short film in at because, most, because then most festivals and most um, formats can show the film. I was very against from the start making a film that was over 15 minutes because I just thought we were limiting ourselves from the beginning. Um, we, I, I mean, okay, so we decided we weren't going to pay the crew. That was, we wanted all the finance that we were able to raise to end up on the screen. And I think that that's been achieved in terms of what, what we managed to do. Filming in completely in London, we filmed at a wonderful location called Millennium Mills just by Pontoon Dock. Um, which doubled. Originally, we were thinking about going to Eastern Europe, but that was um, where we ended up filming. Um, I basically sort of thought that, okay, we've, we know quite a few good head of departments who will come on board and want to make the film. The DOP, who we've worked with, Nick Lawson, is, was very keen to get something good for his showreel, also looking to work on the features. Um, as a very good example, Nick was able to bring on his team, so his gaffer and Sparks as well as do its amazing deals on the camera equipment and the lighting equipment. 
So immediately you're bringing in someone, this is someone we definitely wanted to work with anyway, but think about the added value of bringing someone who's looking for exactly the same thing as you are in terms of they want, to get, they want something great on their showreel. They want to, it to look as fantastic as possible. They want it to be lit as beautifully as possible so that their work will look as good as it possibly can do so that they can sell their skills. So what we were doing early on is aligning our interests with the interests of various other filmmakers who we trusted and respected and, and, and appreciated their work to see if we could make this film together and it would work for everybody. So rather than so yes, we weren't paying people, which I don't believe in in film, but we were certainly looking after them amazingly well, which we always do on our shoots, and that goes well beyond amazing catering cooked by the director's mum and um, and of course you know toilets and and as many DVDs as you can watch of the film afterwards in terms of for their showreels and for sending it out and stills and everything else. So we you know we sort of up and the idea is that we'll work with people not just once but in the future as well and we have done and that's 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 very much what we do. Um, but we but you sort of you know the um, so and your you know the production designer also gets something amazing on their showreel. They they done a short before. Um, this was the second one they could then show with these two shorts that they had real talent as a production designer um, whereas they'd normally been working as a set decorator so there were sort of various there were various ways of bringing people in um, to a project that everyone seemed to connect with the script the script definitely spoke to people Um, I think that's really important as well in terms of having an idea that you can pitch concisely and precisely when you're meeting people and and get them on board and um, we found ourselves making progress fast in terms of um, you know, getting a good cast together um, the location itself the location's a good story for, from a macro budget point of view. When you haven't got any money you always tell, you know, you say we've got no money and it's very straightforward. So when you have got a bit of money and when you are trying to do something ambitious all of a sudden things start to get a bit confusing because you have got money and you're spending, you're obviously spending some money here. So why aren't you spending it on this supplier or this supplier? And everyone starts to get, you know, it's, you have to, you have to even work harder to keep things balanced. Um, I think the best, the best advice is to stick to your guns in terms of, you know, know how much you have to spend on something. That's it. And unfortunately, some things, if people want, if people refuse absolutely to go down to the budget you've got, then you have to move on. One sticking point was the location, because obviously without an amazing location, we couldn't have made this film. Um, and and we found the location at Millennium Mills, which, you know, massive films have always filmed there over the years. Harry Potter was there just before us. They were used to receiving huge, huge fees. And it was there. Um, we went to film London, um, and that could be, you know, if you're not in London, it's your film commission or your regional film board or whoever looks after film. In your, even there's also some people, you know, in your council or your, um, you know, county who look after film. They are they can be amazingly supportive because they, while they can't necessarily give finance today in Film London, have never really been able to provide provide much in terms of production finance. These guys can provide a lot in terms of support. They managed to they to, with a lot of negotiation from our side, but also support and added credibility from Film London's side, we were able to secure this location for what ended up being about £300 for prep, shoot and wrap. And that was really just to cover the legal fees of the organisation who are managing the site, um, which, which was incredible. So, there's, so that, But that took weeks and weeks and weeks of work. Um, as soon as we had the location, we knew we were ready to go. But until that point, we had, you know, there, weren't, there aren't that many options around London like that. And um, we would have had to go much further afield otherwise. Um, it was also useful to be shooting close to 
home in terms of, you know, we weren't spending lots of money on travelling anywhere out of town or anything like that. So, you know, we, we were pretty much, our base was, was our home, which was our office, and that was where we were going to be. We could operate from there until we went into production and started filming. You know, keeping those, basically it's a case of, you know, you've got, you've got some finance, but spend it so that it all, end, all ends up on the screen rather than spending it on things that you won't see the results of was sort of very much our focus there. And we were going to shoot for 3.5 days, three and a half days, which is quite a lot in, for when, you're, when you're trying to keep a crew together, um, working for free and over a long weekend when the sun's shining outdoors and everyone might want to be somewhere else. So that was, there, there were, there was a lot of juggling involved in terms of, in terms of how, to get, how to get to where we got to. Um, I guess the, the results are important in terms of in, you know, where we got to, but we didn't... you know. Um, know what we were going to be able to show people until we had it in the offline, of course, as you never do. Um, but just to give you a quick run through of what we spent in terms of, you know, pre-production was really we had, you know, we had nothing at that stage. Um, we 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 obviously just a bit of money spent on wrecking, um, some money for the casting director and for him to spend, to, you know, to to just hire a room for us to see our cast. Um, a, a casting director called Matt Weston who also worked with us on our feature film, The Holding. Um, production salaries, zero. There we go. <laughs> we're, in, we're not in it for the money on that one. Um, unit salaries for location and so on, of course, we had to spend some money. And the electrical unit, one of the hardest things in the world is getting your um, crew, getting your lighting crew on board for, for zero. But, you know, we, they, they, we ended up paying some money to our electricians, but they did this amazing deal and that was again thanks to our DOP and to the relationship we had with him and with the gaffer um, location costs and catering ultimately become your biggest expense in terms of getting everyone there feeding everybody and um, making sure that everyone can, that it's secure and that everyone that, that you've got that your equipment is you know going to be safe throughout the shoot and so on and and then our other big expense obviously was shooting on film and developing film which we had decided to do we at the time we did a comparison it wasn't going to be a huge amount more with the deals we were getting on on film stock and on on the camera rental so we but you know it's really worth taking the time to do your to do the comparisons work out work out in detail every every route that might be open to you that you know whether it's red or alexa and how can you be doing your post and who's going to do it and, and what kind of you know what kind of a deal is possible on each route um Moving on to editing, we had a great editor called Jim Hampton who did it, who worked for us completely for free. But again, you know, there are always expenses around the offline and online process. Um, insurance, don't try not to avoid it if you can help it. We did have a little uh, lens drop on the floor at one point, and that was very. We didn't regret having insurance on that film. Um, and um, marketing and publicity, I would always, if possible, and you, know, you, you haven't got much finance at all, but if you can, sideline some finance for marketing and publicity early on, and then, then you're starting to think about the future of the film <coughs> and what's going to happen afterwards, and that's, that's absolutely crucial. And if you don't do that, I think, at the beginning, then you almost <coughs> might not... It might, you, might, you don't even need to make, make the film, because... The life of the film starts once it's released, and it keeps on going, and it keeps on going. The more you do, the more you'll see. And that's I've, I've met directors who have said, well, we made, we made a short, but we're not doing much with that. We, we want to make another one. 
And I was sort of thinking, well, that's the absolute opposite of what you should be doing because, you know, creating a short film and creating awareness of the short film is what it's all about. Um, you want people to see it, and it's great to, you know, it's great to have a great audience on a Sunday morning to show it to today. Absolutely wonderful. So we sort of started off by creating um, various images for the film that we, that we created early on as soon as we had our um, stills for the film. And we, knew we, we decided on postcards as our main... Which you know, really, you pay two hundred and fifty pounds for a postcard for for, for ten thousand postcards. It's a great way to sort of start yourself off. You have one image, and that's the only image that you send out to people. So there's a real recognition factor every time in terms of that's the image on your front of your DVD. That's the image that you that everybody sees wherever the film goes. And um, I'd worked at uh, Soda Pictures distribution company, and we worked with All City. A great bunch of a great team of poster designers there, and they um, and I asked them, you know, if, if we give you a bit of money, could, do you think you could do us a massive favour and design us something really striking and strong? And that's, and that's so. So again, there was someone, you know, a company that I had a relationship with, who I was able to, at a relatively reduced price, bring on board to do something, you know, you know deliver a very pro- professional results, which. Um, makes the film stand out on the shelf or on on Netflix or wherever it's going to, you know, on and on, on iTunes where it is most of all now. Um, moving on to to you know what the film does uh, beyond completion. Um, we first of all signed. We, we, well, we're, we're with Shorts International right now, and they have been able to sell the film really successfully, uh, mainly because of its. I'm sure the five minute length that I was talking about before helps massively. They've been able to sell the film all around the world and then they are, of course, the infamous gatekeeper to the iTunes uh, short film charts and deal, which it took a long time of negotiation, um, but they can do it and the short film is very much up on iTunes and selling and revenues are trickling through uh, all the time from, from the sales around the world. But, it was, but just a quick intro. Into, the iTunes is is a fantastic platform, but it was so complicated working with them in terms of, you know, even well after we'd signed, we'd agreed terms, which were fairly straightforward, so there's not a huge amount of choice, and we'd signed our paperwork. It was for us, it was down to us to keep on phoning up iTunes and Shorts International and saying, you know, is it up yet? What do you need from us? You know, that it, it took about, in total, about 10 months longer than we expected it to from the, said, from the time they said, yes, we're ready to go. So the whole, the whole process does require a lot of pushing and pushing from the filmmaker side but once you're up and running it's a great platform and then of course you know you keep on spreading the word because it's not going to sell itself and um, so I've got a my to- I've got a quick top 10 summary in terms of things that I think are really really important for um, for your next short film uh, first of all you're on your own you're probably you'll probably need to start things yourself and that's how that's how I believe you get things moving. You start and people follow, and that's you know whatever you know if it's if it's putting in the first finance yourselves or getting the first finance in, or or going out and shooting something, whatever it is, it's that that's that's what'll that's what'll get you started. Um, be professional when raising finance, when dealing with crew, uh, especially if they're working for free. Treat them even more professionally because then you'll 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 earn their respect and quite right too. Um, get the best possible crew. And if you can, balance experience with friends. So experience is so, so valuable. And if you can bring on people who may be much more experienced than you, it'll raise the level of the game that everyone's playing 
as a crew together and um, you won't regret it I don't think and obviously look after that crew fantastically well um, be prepared someone else said that but I'm saying it now because the one thing you have is time and you have to be as organised as you possibly can be so that you're ready for the unexpected and um, then what, about, what I was saying about marketing think marketing from the very very start Who's your audience for the film? Who's, who do you want to watch it? Who's going to watch it? And how are you going to get them to watch it? <coughs> Absolutely crucial. Um, if you can, and I know some people in this room have managed this in the past, bring in a famous name actor or performer into your film, then please do, because you won't regret it. If you've got access to someone, then you'll make it a lot easier to sell the film further down the line. And um, if you've got connections, use them, is what I'm saying. You'll, you'll be amazed at how ready some stars, big names, are to give up a day to be in your short film or half a day. And having them in there and maybe on the DVD cover is worth its weight in gold. Um, be different. Be unforgettable. Just you know, try and make sure that you're the short film that everyone remembers from the block of ten that they've just watched or from the festival that they, saw, they went to last year. And... No, and, and then I guess that last but not least, it's, it's that whole thing of when you finish the film, it's about what you, do, what you, what you make of the film. You've got, some, you've, got, you've got an asset, you've got this amazing film created, but you know, don't be shameless about it, be proud of it, and go out and sell it as much as possible. And think internationally rather than just in the UK as well. Um, that's becoming so much easier today, but, but it's a reminder to make sure you use your international networks. Watch lots of good short films and... Never give up, never give up, never give up. And good luck. And I really look forward to seeing all the short films soon. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Fantastic. Thank you. We've got the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure Alex will be quizzing you on those later. Uh, we'll swiftly move on to um, Gavin, Gavin Humphreys of um, Quark Pictures, or Quark Films now. Yeah. Hi, uh, yeah, so I'm Gavin from Quark Films. Uh, some things I'm going to say might contradict Alex, actually. Um, yes. Um, so, yes, I've been a producer for five years. I was a talent agent before that. I went to the National Film and Television School to fast-track myself into the film industry, apparently. Um, so my most recent short film was The Curse, which uh, was with the director, Faisal Bulif, who I'm going to do a case study of with you today. Um, that was at the uh, Kanzen Directors Fortnight in Cannes and won the Best Short Film Prize this year. Um, so I've run my company for five years and I've worked across um, fiction, animation and documentary projects, uh, mainly because I wanted to build a company, uh, me and my then business partner Anna wanted to build a company that was sustainable um, and could support us. So we didn't distinguish between film, television or um, cross-platform work uh, we did that as well because um, when we were at film school we met various experienced producers who told us there were only two ways to survive in the film industry which was either to um, have another job while you're producing your films or marry well um, which um, <laughs> I was going out with a student at the time so that wasn't great uh, yes so um, we've produced um, the uh, crowdsourced People vs George Lucas which has um, had theatrical release in North America and several other English-language-speaking um, territories, uh, which premiered at South by Southwest 
in 2010. Um, a Wonderland for the BBC Boy Cheerleaders, which has sold around um, the world and been at a few good film festivals. And uh, the crowds uh, financed the Real Social Network, which we um, made last year, uh, which is about the um, student uh, occupations against tuition, tuition fee rises. So we've done a variety of work, documentary features, um, but the main thing um, really that I've experienced the last five years is um, a lack of time, um, particularly when making um, short films. Uh, I really think, uh, having kind of made a flippant comment about marrying well and uh, having another job, I think to make short films, it does help if you have a rich husband or wife or another job, quite frankly, um, when you're beginning, when you're starting. Um, so I'm going to show you uh, a clip from the beginning of... Unlike Alex, I tend to work with um, quite uh, forthright writer-directors that have their own vision, um, again, in animation, documentary or fiction. And uh, so I've worked with Faisal on his last two films. And the film I'm going to talk about is called Burn My Body, um, which is building on his previous short called Whore, so he chooses very um, catchy titles. Um, and this was uh, a publicly funded short from B3 uh, and the Arts Council, UK Film Council. So I'll show you the first um, three minutes or so first, and then I'll talk you through a uh, case study for it. Cool, let's that there. I was going to talk through this film because um, it's probably the most ambitious short film I've ever done, actually. Um, the budget was uh, £10,000. Um, Faisal has a particular way of working where... Um, I mean, he, he never went to film school, and this was his second short film, so he was kind of learning as he goes along. So the shooting days were longer. He needs more time, so um, I'd normally try and maybe squeeze it all into a week or five days or six shooting days. For this, we definitely needed to have seven days, so that was um, already an issue, because you couldn't work seven continuous days. The script itself was 20 pages long, so obviously 20 minutes. Um, the locations... Um, it doesn't look that spectacular to say we had five locations, including a car and a shopping centre, but he did want to go for Westfield Shopping Centre originally, which is um, hugely expensive. We had to search around for um, a different shopping centre. Um, we ended up in... Um, uh, Blue, blue Water uh, and that's kind of problematic in itself because the location started to become split up because we were looking at um, shooting the house scene um, well if I talk through I mean the beginning of the film you have the house that's all very easy but we already have an issue of an R&B track that he wanted to include in the film and the music video which was important if you know anything about music clearance that would to easily get that done you'd need about £5,000 we didn't have £5,000 to spend on a music video. We didn't want to recreate a music video, which was suggested to us, because that would have looked awful. Um, and getting some women in bikinis around a car would just be horrible. Um, so uh, we had to look for a music track. Um, we had to film in a car, which, when you're shooting on a red camera, um, is not that easy. Um, so we didn't shoot on a red camera in a car. We used a Canon 5D, um, which was just positioned in the corner of the car, and the DAP used a makeup mirror to check the um, composition of the shots. Um, we had the poem, which is that poem in the film is a very um, well-known um, poem by Emily Dickinson, an American poet whose work is all um, uh, copyrighted by um, Harvard. So I had to negotiate um, usage of the poem. 
Um, we had seven actors in the piece. You saw um, five of them there already. Uh, what else did we have that's just um, a pain? So there are lots of elements there which um, basically caused me to undo um, this. Um, and what you don't see in, in as well is that um, apart from that, there's um, at the end of the film... Um, there's, I suppose I should just say, it's called Burn My Body, and um, she does try to burn her body. Um, so I had to try and work out how we were going to do um, someone setting themselves on fire at the end of a film as well, which the um, funders wanted to just cut because they were worried about that it was, it was too extreme, first of all, in a creative sense, and also how we were going to accomplish it um, convincingly. And we also have a sex scene, so um, it was uh, quite an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting thing to, um, to take on. So how did we achieve it, um, apart from me going prematurely grey and losing my hair and screaming? Um, well, I think the best thing I can do is just talk through the, um, the cost report, uh, which kind of gives a sense of my thinking behind this, this film and how we, how we sort of made it come to fruition. Um, I still actually can't believe we made it come to fruition because it feels like, yeah, it's a it was a crazy experience to do. Um, but I think from my... Just to give you a sense of why I did it, because I really love um, working with Faisal. I love his work. I, we had, he had a career sort of trajectory. He knew the next short film he wanted to make, which was The Curse, which was at Cannes, which won at Cannes, obviously, and then um, feature ideas. So now we're working with Film 4 on, on feature projects. So there was a clear sort of two-, three-year plan. And I think, I mean, building what Alex said, I think working with... If you're going to work with... Um, a director or a writer, even a producer, it's good if they have a, a very strong sort of sense of where they want to be in the next two, three, four years um, when you're doing a short film, because you're not doing it for its own sake, you're doing it hopefully to move you to a next level, whatever that is at your own particular point. If it's your first film, you want to get it into festivals and to be noticed to make another short film probably. Um, so, again, depressingly, as you can see, Everyone on the crew got an amazing fee of zero. I was going to put in like a million pounds for one, see if anyone noticed, but I decided not to do that. That would be stupid. Um, so you can see... Um, I mean, how we make that work, essentially, is that we have... I mean, so I run a company. Um, I do the projects that I do outside of the short films, as I showed you. Also, I've done some music videos and uh, virals and things like that. So the one thing I do promise everybody who works with me, even people who come an intern, is that, I mean, if, if they really sort of prove themselves on a, on a short film and for nothing, then I will absolutely um, employ them properly on a proper shoot where they get paid a proper fee. Uh, so I always have that carrot on a stick. I know that's probably... I'm in a unique position to maybe to be able to do that, but to try and, again, incentivise people that there's a reason for, for working. But, of course, I mean, short films, people aren't just incentivised by money, they're incentivised by the creative idea. You've seen Faisal's got a very particular style. His short before that was extremely strong, did very well, and had a very particular style. So people, you know, you send a Vimeo link of the last short film, you send the script to this film, hopefully people will either connect with it or, if they, or not. Um, and I think the important thing is as well is that you really want everybody on your entire crew, from someone who's just running or driving through to your HOD, you just want them to really connect with the project. And I think everybody on this film absolutely just really loved the script. They loved Faisal's work and they wanted to work with him. And that was the biggest carrot on the stick that we, we had. Um, and on a short film where people aren't getting paid, you just want everyone to be... Um, what I was going to say before... Um, 
this refers to companies, but I think it refers to your crew. You want people that make things happen. Everybody has to be really proactive, dynamic, energetic, and really... Um, I'm, I'm all about the director driving the whole process and everyone has to follow what the director needs and wants, but you want people who are, you want it to be a collaborative experience and you want everyone to feel they have a certain amount of autonomy and they're bringing something to the project and they're people who are going to make stuff happen for you at whatever level, even if it's me going to um, Sainsbury's at 11 o'clock at night to buy loads of sandwiches and food and stuff. Um, so, um, yes, so realistically... Nobody is getting paid. Um, the things I had to think about were, um, and this is the, the benefit of hindsight, um, what you should bear in mind with a cost report is that obviously you can see here, maybe you're not familiar, so we've got um, the columns you should look at here are the budgets. This is what I budgeted. This was the final cost, and then that was the, the variance, so whether it, I spent less or more. Um, I'm not embarrassed. You should never be embarrassed if you spent, if you were way off in your estimations because there are things that happen... It's a, it's a whole art in itself, managing a budget. You realise you can save money, obviously, somewhere and put it in a different place. But so the budget figures are the main assumptions that I had to think about when I was um, budgeting the film. And, of course, they're based on research. As Alex said, you do cost comparisons for cameras. You think of all different ways of how you need to, to, to conceive and, and bring your project uh, to fruition. And then you choose the one that's creatively the, the best and also um, financially, hopefully, the best. They don't often meet up. Um, for this, I had to think about... We had lots, a big cast, lots of non-actors. We had an inexperienced crew, so we had to have put money into an experienced first AD. So you'll see I budgeted um, uh, £500 for a first AD, which is not that much money, but still not insulting for someone. Maybe like a commercial music video first AD who wants to work on more creative work. So we found a great first AD who managed the process. And for me as a producer, that's essential because on these kind of projects, um, I mean, I am there all the time working on the film, um, doing pretty much everything uh, that's kind of behind the scenes with you know a couple of um, production assistants or a production manager. So a first AD who you can really trust and manage the shoot is essential. And also, I think you have to think about what's in your in your screenplay so we had non-actors we had sort of the health and safety issues we had the sex scene VFX um, sorry SFX so all these kind of things require you know you have to be sensible you need someone who has solid industry experience so the first AD is going to be there on the set making sure that crazy things aren't happening because they they can do if you walk away for a few minutes and find out something's gone awry Um, so the first AD was very important the other thing you'll see I budgeted, if you can actually see this, is I put, um, I put money up front uh, for um, a stunt coordinator and a stunt performer because we did actually consider having um, someone setting themselves on fire. Um, and I did my research and I, I spent... I, it was a real headache. Um, I had many sleepless nights thinking about it, but I spoke to lots of stunt coordinators and I actually found... Um, uh, a female stunt artist and I spoke to um, a stunt person and it worked out at about £2,000 so I budgeted uh, £1,900 for that and actually in the end you'll see that we never spent that money um, it's zero so I saved there uh, £1,900 not because we didn't do the fire effect but actually what I you have to think of so think picking up the, the torch as we were in the Olympics um, of really kind of thinking about all the different solutions, um, it started to feel... I didn't feel entirely comfortable um, with the um, fire stunt. 
Uh, and I just did even more and more research. I spoke to as many people as possible, all different kinds of VFX, SFX specialists. Uh, I spoke to about a dozen people um, and I kind of put it to a jury and they voted in favour of not doing a live um, fire effect, much to my relief, um, and persuaded me that a VFX could work um, combined with um, a separate SFX event. So what we did in the end is I, I, I went to the NFTS they have an SFX course there. I spoke to the um, SFX department and they agreed to do um, our fire stunt as um, a class for their students. So what it involved is we had the fire. The fire is a combination of um, an SFX where I had to buy a mannequin in um, Soho and then take it to Beaconsfield where the film school is. They put it in a field somewhere with 10 students um, did all the things they had to do, set it on fire and filmed it. And then we had to put the frames, compose the two frames. We had the real, the real scene with the actress where she wasn't being set on fire in a house that we were only paying £500 for. Um, and uh, the um, SFX shoot out in Beaconsfield and those two frames were put on top of each other. And then there was, um, in actually in Final Cut Studio, some very clever ways of making that work combined with the grade later on. So it looked relatively convincing it, it looks quite convincing actually so um, that was a solution that cost me all in the end of about um, £100 I had to just buy a mannequin and look ridiculous carrying that through the centre of London um, what else have we spent on well it was, an, it was an interior shoot so I budgeted up front for well obviously if it's an interior shoot some things were happening at night you need lights you need a proper gaffer. Again, with a less experienced crew, I wanted to have um, an experienced um, electrician gaffer around, particularly if we're renting locations. Um, so I put money there. Um, I basically think, um, just going back to paying people, um, really, most of the time, I've done other shorts that have been, I did another one for Film 4 that was all in a classroom, and it all happened over 15 minutes in a classroom with four actors, um, and it was a dream compared to this. It was such a relief to do. Um, on that, I could pay everybody. So as much as possible, my philosophy is this, just pay, work out a rate that everyone can get, but normally it's like 250 to 350 pounds maybe for a week, um, and maybe that includes their expenses, and it's just a lot easier to manage. So here, I will give you 350 pounds to come and work for me for five days. On this. Everything is included. You know, the days might be longer, they're elastic. Um, the travel, unless it's somewhere crazy out, outside of London, um, your travel is included in that fee and then just pay them that you know, amount of money. That's my, generally my solution. Food. Um, for some reason, I always tend to come a little bit under budget on food. I don't know why I'm probably... But no one ever goes hungry. Um, it's not so interesting. That's just common sense. But I think as long as you make sure everyone's fed and watered. But interestingly, though, I have to say, you can budget for that quite... You know, you can be relatively generous. And I always find... I found on short films... Maybe I'm talking nonsense, but I've, I've often saved, like, several hundred pounds for some reason. I don't know why. No one complains about the food on my, my short films, but they don't seem to eat everything. Um, <laughs> the other thing is... Uh, so, actors... You'll see I... I budgeted these figures, all different rates. In the end, um, they were non-actors. They all kind of started talking to each other about what they were doing and how much they were getting paid. So I just, in the end, paid them all the same, the family, £300. And actually, because we were working on a very um, flexible schedule, it just worked to say, OK, I'll pay you £300 and I need to know that you're around definitely for five days in this week. 
Um, and that's actually quite, that's not an ungenerous amount of money to pay someone for acting in a short film. I think the NFTS had a rate of like £65 a day or something like that, which is not so great. I used to be a talent agent as well, so that's money is terrible for actors. But um, Two things that I really um, concentrate on for a short film, obviously just casting and locations, absolutely. Whether they're actors or non-actors, I start as early as possible because um, that's, that's the most time-consuming and creatively... Um, for me, uh, no matter how pretty the shot is, it's what's going on inside it that's the most important thing, performance. Um, so really to find the right kind of actors who are, you know, you need to get that happening as soon as possible. I have the benefit of having been a talent agent, so I understand how that works a bit better. But trying to, I think, even talking to agents or casting directors, if you ever can, at these kind of events and just get a sense of how the industry works. When I was an agent, I used to get a lot of phone calls, even from the NFTS where I studied, uh, of people that had no sense of how to ring up and check availabilities and check actors, and immediately you just dismiss it and you're not interested, especially as, I mean, for an agent, there's not very much commission involved in a short film. Um, so you really have to think professionally how to do that, how to present yourself. That's often a mistake that I think first-time filmmakers make is how to actually communicate with um, agents and uh, casting directors um, and the other thing of course is locations for this as I said that was um, considerable amount of locations um, you might think oh it's easy to, to um, you know, shoot in a car driving around but um, when you get to the reality of, of doing it that's a whole different matter of spending you know, eight hours driving around the same ten roads uh, and all the kind of if the actor is actually driving the car as well, all those kind of health and safety concerns. So you have to think about where, what, what car you're using, rehearse the actor driving the car, rehearse them driving around those streets, all of those kind of things. Um, the key thing for me was just to try and keep it as contained as possible. Um, I'm all for, uh, hopefully, if your director is kind of on, on the same page as you, um, they'll try and be as kind of helpful, understand the restrictions of your budget... Um, Faisal is very visual so I mean we found a house but he thought oh the lounge in this house is good but we want a bedroom in that house and we'll use the front of another house and it's like no we'll use the same house we'll find one house that everything is there because obviously it makes sense that we're all based in one location we can use because there are some bedroom scenes there's a kitchen the lounge the outside the garden um, so find a house that actually fits all of those needs and that just really involved three weeks of ringing around the state agents looking through um, uh, websites and finding we found a, a, a large kind of quite garish house in uh, Neesden that fitted our needs and that served as a production base we could use the kitchen to make food um, in fact some people who came from outside of London slept there which then was helpful for insurance for the equipment um, all these kind of things were going on in my head. So we had that place for five, for five days. Um, and the other thing that I obviously underestimated entirely was the shopping mall, which I put £500 for, and in fact that turned out nearly £1,000. Um, and that was, again, like in my head, and also doing documentaries, I tend to think, oh, yes, it's going to be quite simple. It will be you know, easy. We won't be in the way. And then you realise, OK, we've got... 20 people turning up to shoot here it's going to, we are going to be in the way um, it's going to be quite a lot to manage is it realistic in fact the, the shopping the scene in the shopping centre we had like several scenes and it really should have had two days but we could not afford to do that we had one day 
Um, and that we, there were some creative compromises and there were some little kind of slip-ups here and there which meant we didn't get all the material. We, had, we could not afford, we just simply couldn't afford to, to film there for two days because um, places, real commercial properties, there's a going rate and it's pretty much non-negotiable. The thing as well with this is I couldn't say to... Um, considering the content of the film, I couldn't say to a shopping centre, hey, and we can like, put your name at the end of it. You can be associated with this really uh, arty, uh, controversial film. So, um, you know, if you have something a bit more commercial, then, of course, you can do that. But we weren't really... Just, I couldn't really sell them the story and they could brand it. It wasn't really that kind of thing. Come to a shopping centre and meet a guy, then go off and have sex with him. Uh, yeah, it's not going to work. Um, so... Uh, the other thing I do as well, just thinking about departments, so I tend to ramble on a bit, so you just have okay. to shut me up if I need yeah, to. Okay. Um, yes, the other thing is um, I just tend to say to like um, a costume designer or a production designer, I, will, I work out what I think is going to be the right budget. I say, okay, you have, I don't know, £700, and you can do with that whatever you like, but that's £700, and just give me, just account for all of that at the end of the shoot. Um, rather than sort of everything has to run through me. I just don't have time to handle like every minutiae of every decision that every department is making. So I just am happy to say, again, choosing really proactive people that just make stuff happen, just say, you have £500, you have £2,000, I need this. Very clear sort of schedule of all the things that you need. And if they save some money, that's fine, they can keep it, I don't mind. Um, I, I've got a bigger picture of the whole budget. I know I can afford to, if they save of themselves £100, fine, they can keep that money. Sometimes it incentivizes people. Um, and there's none of that going on, by the way. It's all like I have a BDI on what they're spending and when. And I have a very clear... If you do that, what you have to do is be absolutely sure you are very clear about what you require them to do. So you have a very comprehensive list of everything that you've asked them and for the amount of money, and that's it. So that's how I work it, because it saves me time having to sort of sign off stuff. Do you ever do that? Or not really? No, yeah. Um, so that's what I did with production design. I just said £700, um, I think, plus there's some other petrol expenses. That do as you please. This is what I need for it. Um, just going on to camera, very important... Um, we wanted the best look. We chose a red camera, which was still a camera du jour, like two, three years ago. Um, we couldn't really afford it. We just rang around loads of different suppliers. I found a crazy, um, uh, not here, crazy Israeli guy who was great, who did the DIT as well, who owns his own camera and sleeps in bed with his camera um, <laughs> and was happy to, um, he just loved the story and we paid him. A fair amount of money, and he saved us a lot of um, time and money. I mean, we had, you know, it was, it was a lot easier than going to a supplier. And I think there are, even I found out, I'm looking at shooting something on Alexa right now, and I found out a couple of friends of mine have friends who own Alexas. They must be incredibly rich. But um, so, you know, I was pulling my hair out trying to find a way of getting this camera, and then we found two people that actually had their own red cameras and were happy to do it for less. The other thing I'd say is I haven't put that here, but I would always say, Think about what you're delivering at the end and then work backwards. The worst thing about short films and the thing I hate um, is generally people... Of course, you have only so much time and energy and money. You concentrate everything up front in the preparation and the shoot and then there's no consideration for the bigger schedule. So I always do a very clear schedule, um, just an Excel spreadsheet saying, you know, like prep, 
um, casting, location scouting, uh, pre-production, shoot, editing, online grades, working all the way to the delivery point. Be clear what you need to deliver. I mean, always have... We, I mean, there's no point on delivery schedules, but, you know, there are sensible things you need, an HD cam, DigiBeta, um, digital file, all that kind of stuff, um, and work out how you're going to get that, and always work your post-production route backwards. Um, and to really get your film finished on time, if you have a particular deadline to, to reach... I've always had a deadline because I've been delivering to the BFI, the UK Film Council, various public funders, so I've had to work to a deadline. So... I always need money for the post-production. It's not going to be here. I actually managed to... I've put the grand total of £100 for the online and grade. It did actually... I was doing three short films at the same time and a bigger production, so I managed to get them to bundle this in. Um, that's unusual. I would say definitely you need to have... Um, the, the, my main problem has always been with post-production companies. If you, um, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Is that the expression? Um, you don't get what you need. Um, so you really have to have some money because that's there. Unless you've got a good in or a good contact there or someone who's um, starting off who wants to work on different projects rather than doing like factual entertainment TV, they can do some grading on a, on a short film, something more creative. So um, that's always seek out post-production houses. Um, as long as you're sensible and have something to offer to them, I was doing TV commissions at the same time as well, so I was bringing work to... I was trying to be loyal to a particular post-production company. So, yes, I would always think about make sure you mark out some money for the whole end of the process um, because that can be just... You get to that point where you're editing, um, you're going to you know, you're gonna have picture lock, and then you just get stuck... Um, actually, I know someone now who's doing a short film that's stuck because they don't even have an editor. So always plan. I have all of my um, sort of suppliers, post-production-wise, lined up even before the shoot, just so I know. Because you have to fit in. If you're going to use a post house as well, the key thing is is to talk to them earlier because they can fit short films in and for not very much money, as long as they know in advance and they like you, of course. But if you're if you're asking them just when you're reaching, or you're editing, or you're getting to picture lock. They might have a window, but then it's going to be two or three months away because they're doing all their, you know, suites are full doing other stuff. Um, so you want to have, or you don't want them to squeeze you in for half a day either. You want to have, like, the proper amount of creative time to finish your project off. Um, music, I budgeted zero. I had to pay. And for the poem, that's just a case of... Um, we really wanted to have music tracks in it. Um, it was really essential to have the music video and the two music tracks... So um, Faisal is a brilliant director because he just trawled YouTube and came up with about 20-odd tracks. Once we, so we started at A, you know, which is the top stuff, realised we couldn't get it and worked our way down, never creatively compromising but finding something that we could use that was cheaper or zero. So we got there in the end, but that's incredibly time-consuming. But if you want that to be in your film, then you have to put in the time. That's all simply how it works. Um, and it ended up being... Uh, £33.81 under budget. It's probably a lie. Uh, but that was, uh, yes, yeah, so, we, so we did manage to make it happen. Um, and the whole process for that really was we started um, the casting, location scouting in uh, January and we finished the film by August and delivered it by August. And that went on to be at several film festivals and did really well. I hope that was helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Incredibly informative. Thank you yes. very much. Okay. Cool. Um...
we'll move on to the last case study uh, today, uh, Christine Chung uh, of uh, Threads of Lee Productions. Hi, um, I basically started out making uh, short films after I did a, a sort of a brief foundation course at the London Film Academy where I met Becky Preston um, and she was sort of aspiring writer-director and I was the producer so we kind of teamed up together and we sort of formed Softly Productions with the idea that we start with short films to build onto features. So that was our long-term goal. Um, and um, essentially we sort of started out just you know, with a few of you know, our friends just going out, filming random short films on literally just no budgets, just to experiment, try different things, and um, just understanding different aspects. For instance, like uh, I had a go at uh, the camera, the lighting, things that I wouldn't normally do, but I thought it was really good to actually, as a producer, to understand how different areas work. Um, and then with our... And Sorry, these are just a couple of highlights on um, some of the projects we did. Um, now, Small Dark Places isn't quite the... That was a BBC short film which we did. Um, what we did was... Aval was the first one, and it was made on no budget. It was a one-minute short which we entered into the BAFTA 60-second competition. It was a special category as part of the BAFTA anniversary, um, and we managed to get through to the finals, which was fantastic because... Uh, it kind of spurred us on to make more f- short films and um, with the idea to build on, lead on to a feature. And then we decided afterwards that we were going to go se- split off and actually get experience elsewhere. So that's why I worked on Small Dark Places as a line producer and that was a fully funded uh, short film. And then Star was um, another film that we came back together and we said, OK, well, let's use this as a sort of stepping stone to, into features. Uh, so just a quick sort of uh, video of just a couple of shorts uh, with a variety of budgets, but mostly self-funded. That was uh, a vow, which we did. It was a one-minute short film, and we must have made it on five pounds. Literally just getting a little handy cam, rounded up two friends, uh, just rounded up some family, just, just made the short film. Um, and yeah, and so we were invited to, to attend BAFTA back in 2007, and um, it was also screened on BBC One, uh, which kind of encouraged us to then work on a more ambitious short film, which was Star. Uh, we decided that we were going to enter it for the Cannes Short Film Corner as an excuse to go over to Cannes and actually find out how... Uh, the markets work so we had a specific deadline we had to work to so we turned it uh, around in approximately six seven weeks Um, and it was the first time we actually stepped into our role so Becky stepped in as a writer director and I stepped in as a producer whereas previously our roles were a lot more blurred so we would all have a go at different things but this time we thought well let's bring in a proper crew Uh, again because it was self-financed we couldn't afford to pay people so we paid expenses but we bought various heads of department and put together a skeleton crew with a view that would bring them back onto the feature. Um, and again, I agree with what Alex said earlier about sort of being very professional, treating people with respect, and actually really looking after them. Um, because that's the thing, you, you kind of want to bring them back for more than just one film. You actually want to build an ongoing relationship. And still to this day, I mean, I'm talking to um, the same crew about working on future projects, and that's, that's what they like to do as well. Um, in terms of um, keeping costs down, I think you have to be resourceful with just in general, like, and actually working with people who understand that you're working with a small budget. 
So they can't go out and splash out, you know, ridiculous things. And again, like, you know, what Gavin does, you allocate them a small budget and say, okay, well, can you work with that? What I often do is I'll speak to a head of department and actually sit down with them and say, okay, we don't have much money, so if there's any way you can actually do a costing in terms of I want a uh, ideal budget of what you need and what's the minimum you can work with. And usually we try to find somewhere compromise in between. And in terms of planning ahead, I think pre-production is, is really crucial because everything needs to sort of uh, flow smoothly during the production. So the more prep you do, the better the production runs. And uh, for us... We actually try to lock down on the locations, keep it to the very minimal. And actually, for instance, there was interior of a house. So we used you know, various things like we used uh, the bathroom, we used the living room, we used the bedroom. So we actually um, you know, had s- several locations just within one location. And um, I had to create a premiere scene, and that was actually quite difficult. So what I did was um, I thought you just kind of look at what's available to you. Now, I, I work for the BBC, so I, I remember passing a staircase thinking, oh, that could be good, we could dress it up. So we, used a, we got a free location just from, see, it's a basic staircase, but you can dress it up to look like that. And uh, we also had a park scene. Um, again, it was free. The only thing we paid for was the permit application, which was 40 something pounds. So that was an entire location budget. So that's pretty much nothing really and uh, in terms of getting the actors now Reese is a friend of ours so we'd worked with him quite a few occasions and he went you know he just graduated from drama school so he was really happy you know to work with us and you know we built a really good relationship with him um, Joe is on the left um, she was an actress that I worked with on small dark places now she was kind of on her way up at the time um, because she'd just come off Equus uh, opposite Daniel Radcliffe on the West End uh, she was in a couple of TV shows and I thought well you know it would be good to actually bring someone who's got some decent credits into the uh, into the film so that's essentially what we did and with uh, regarding extras our second AD did an amazing job because we needed 20 photographers so we just contacted some uh, photography uh, clubs and a couple of friends who had SLR cameras and just rounded people up and just offered them uh, refreshments, really, and see whoever's available. That's the thing. At the end of the day, if, if people are available, they'd love to get involved with films. So if you just promised them a copy of the DVD, it was fine. Uh, now, some of the pitfalls uh, that we had... There were some sort of personality clashes on, on set, which you can't really avoid. Um, it, it just happens, okay? Because not everyone will get along, but you kind of accept that. As a producer, you try to manage that. You try to make sure that people get along as much as they can uh, so you don't have people walking off set or getting upset over things. And um, I think quite often what people do with uh, short films is that they underestimate expenses, Expenses can actually account to quite a lot because um, before you know it, like people you know, driving around using petrol, using parking, all sorts of things which kind of account to a lot, um, especially when you've got a shoestring budget to work with in the first place. Uh, we also had a crew with uh, a varied experience. So some had worked on quite a few sort of uh, short films, you know, promos, music videos, etc. And we had uh, people who actually had very little experience. So again, it was trying to manage that, um, you know, expectation and trying to pair them up with people. And again, it's 
it's a case of like trying to bring on uh, people who are actually as experienced as possible. Because if you surround yourself uh, with good people, then again, that raises the bar of your film. Um, one of the problems we had was uh, trying to clear music. Now, Becky found a track uh, that she really liked, and um, I had to sort of speak to the record company, and they were absolutely unwilling to compromise in terms of you know, reducing the fee. And they were quoting a few thousand pounds, and we were like, well, there's no way we can afford that. So in the end, uh, what happened was we were like, okay, well, let's, let's see what alternatives we can find. So in the end, we looked through music libraries to see what was available, and we found a track which was pretty much like, spot on, uh, really similar to the original track, and it only cost us a pound. So it's just you know, finding alternatives, you know, seeing what's available to you. And, uh, oops, sorry. Just link to the budget. So that was the budget. So you can see kind of what we spent things on. So in terms of meeting costs, I mean, again, it's just buying some coffees, uh, rehearsals. You just find a quiet pub somewhere and meet your actors. You don't have to hire out rehearsal room. You know, you find ways to keep costs down. And people completely understand that because they, they've worked on, like, low-budget films before. So, again, so you can see some of the expenses that people claim. You see what I mean? Like, they do fluctuate. So you, those are the things that you have to bear in mind. So if you can get an actor who's based in London, stick with that. And at the time, our actor had... Um, she was doing a play up in Birmingham, so she had to sort of come back for the weekend while we were shooting. That's why that cost us a lot more. Um, but those are things that you should really bear in mind. Um, now, we had to create the red carpet scene. I called up the uh, props company several weeks ahead of time saying, well, we need red carpet. Like, do you have much available? You know, what's the cheapest you can do? He said, oh, that's fine. We've got plenty. You know, uh, just do it. You know, call us last minute so we'll see what kind of deal we can offer you. And we called a few days beforehand and unfortunately there was some sort of big event and all the red carpet had been hired out. So we had no red carpet and at that point we were like, okay, so how do we create this red carpet? In the end, we went to um, the art The art director was fantastic because she was like, why don't we go to Shepherd's Bush Market and actually find some red velvet material um, and use that and just sort of position that down instead. And that worked out perfectly because for starters, you can't actually position red carpet onto a staircase without actually you know, holding it, fixing it. So the red, the, uh, red velvet actually worked out much better. Um, and again, yeah, keeping sort of cost down to minimal. We also had to design a couture dress, so that's why we spent £139, which is nothing. Uh, it's just literally just buying a nice piece of fabric and getting our costume designer to be creative and actually come up with a couture dress for us. Uh, yeah, makeup, you can see, hardly spent any money. It was literally just a few basic ingredients. And our makeup artist was completely understandable because she had a lot of her own equipment, which she'd you know, previously worked on the music video, and she had leftover materials, and so we managed to use that. We spent a bit of money on the lighting equipment, um, and it was subsidised by our DOP. He had some of his own lights, and camera-wise, we decided, OK, well what's available. Again, he managed to use a Z1, which I know isn't the best quality, but at the time we didn't have you know, things like the Canon 5D, which looks much better now. Um, you can see expenses again sort of racking up quite easily. 
but we managed to save costs in other areas, which kind of balanced out. See, locations spent not hardly anything on there. And again, food. I think catering is very important, and that you have to make sure that you know people aren't being paid. They're really looked after. Feed them properly. Give them proper meals. And you know, I, that's something I actually always spend a lot of money um, of the budget on. And in editing, we didn't actually use a post house. What we did was um, we had an editor. We went around to his house. You know, he did a lot of editing, and then we just did some basic grading. Uh, and you can see, yeah, music. I spent a pound. Um, and at the end, you just throw a basic, you know, um, party screening and party for the cast and crew just to thank them for all their hard work. And those are kind of things that people do appreciate. And in the end, we only spent, you know, just over sixteen hundred pounds. Uh, so as you can see, it's it's actually nothing, and it's e- easily achievable on self-funded film. the The idea of Star was always to sort of lead on to something bigger, and we used Star as a sort of stepping stone, a vehicle into features. Uh, we used it to to pitch to um, financiers, uh, and we used that combination with Aval to say, look, you know, we we can do this. Um, and then we were very fortunate there and that we managed to secure uh, micro-budget funding for the feature, which we shot in the same year. And um, it f- we finished the film in 2010 and it's sort of been around the festivals and basically it's, it's had a release uh, earlier this year. So that's what it kind of led to. And we always knew that was what we wanted to do. So with Star, we didn't enter as, me- as many festivals as we you know, liked to, but... It was the idea behind it was always to actually build to something bigger. Thank you very much, Christine. That's wonderful. We are swiftly running out of time. Um, I'd like to open up uh, to the floor for any questions you may have. Hi there. I've got a question specific for Gavin. Um, it was about the, the gaffer you used, and you managed to get him... A uh, very cheap rate for him uh, for the whole week, I think about £250. And I was wondering, did you get someone in who was like a young lighting guy who was wanting to move up, or how did, how did you work that? Um, well, that wasn't for a whole week, because it was for um, the interiors in the house that we needed the, the gaffer for, I think, four days. It was almost a week, anyway. Um, and we were just using um, uh, someone who was uh, the DOP had worked with before. By the way, um, the DOP, Tyner. Uh, is a brilliant DOP, but she didn't have lots of connections in camera houses or crews, so we were really like starting from scratch. So we had to go- exhaustively. Sometimes I actually go through my phone for all the contacts to think of people to contact to uh, get him to work for us. Uh, so yes, he was a kind of lower level, someone who was just moving up to um, from a spot to a gaffer. We were lucky. What was the name of that DOP? Uh, DOP yeah, Tyna yeah. Tyna Gallis. Tyna Gallis. Yeah. She shot the curse as well. She's done all of Faisal's films. We've got a question from around this way. None of you um, talk very extensively about deliverables, mm. which in my experience, um, recent experience, is an absolutely crippling cost if um, you're not careful. And, and if you need a DCP or you need you know, masters of everything, it's just um, something you don't factor in for. You'd, I mean, you don't need uh, a, a DCP. That's a, that can be, if you get a distributor or someone who wants to show your print, say, the British with um, The Curse, that requires a DCP. Uh, that required it for CAN. CAN don't pay for that, but um, you can get funding from um, British Council, various other sources. If because you, uh, you're, we're talking about short films, uh, festival deliberate like a DCP is a particular cost. That would be. Um, I don't know. Do you ever work produce a DCP as a finished 
that would be if you get into a festival then you encounter that problem when you get to it and if it's a good festival your funders or other people will help you British Council regional screen agencies will help you pay for that cost Um, but yes deliverables are really important that's why I was hinting at earlier on so you certainly need to have an HD cam, a digi beta, and a digital file, absolutely. Um, and obviously more than one copy, if you can, of the, the tapes. But, um, yeah, it's hugely important. And I think if you actually get access to a delivery schedule for, from, say, the BFI or Film 4 or just a feature film, just to get a taste of how crazy it can be on a bigger level, that's quite important. But I would aim for those three, three things to actually screen your film in the first instance. And I think delivery schedules are completely crazy and you're given something that's in print but don't forget that it's totally negotiable and changing all the time as well. And, I, and sometimes I've seen within one production from between the start and the end <coughs> certain deliverables actually aren't really going to be needed anymore so you can absolutely go back to the person who's given you that, the sales company or whoever it is, and say, look, can we take that off or can we provide you with something else, maybe a clone of something you're doing already and, and save, save cost. So, but um, yeah, I HD, would, yeah. HD cam, you were saying, I think, it's, you know, as long mm. as you've got your HD cam master, yeah. then, mo- then you're in a position to, to, you know, deliver to most of the people that will need it unless you're going for a festival that, you know, you'll be able to get extra funding for. If you are working with a funder as well, uh, just what Alex said, absolutely um, don't just treat a delivery schedule list as that's the Bible. Just talk to people because quite often, even I found, say, with Film 4, which you have to deliver broadcast deliverables, you can, it's way negotiable for short films. Um, so don't be frightened or put off by that very crazy long list. No one ever tells you that. No, it's all about <laughs> communication. People just you know, don't think, actually, I just pick up the phone and talk to them about it and go through it ask questions, there's no such thing as a stupid question particularly about post-production because no one seems to know anything, even the people that are managing it sometimes uh, have grey areas around, so you know, it's a conversation Kristen, would you like to add anything to that? No, I think no. those guys have pretty much covered it Great, any more questions? Uh, it's a question for Gavin I think, um, how did you go about uh, doing the crowdfunding that you did for Real Social Network? Right, well, that's more a feature, so I don't know if it's appropriate here, but basically, I mean, crowdfunding um, works well for documentaries usually because they motivate people about issues like geisty topics or fan um, films. Uh, although it's starting to happen more and more for, for short films and for fiction films, the one thing I'd say that's important for crowdfunding is um, that's when you absolutely know that you have an audience, um, an inbuilt audience for your work, so you need to have some genre element or actor or theme or issue attached to it that's going to motivate people to fund or a lot of friends that are going to fund you. Um, And the other thing that's important for um, crowdfunding is they have a call to action. So you need to know how to plan your call to action. It's essentially a video normally of the director uh, pitching themselves and a bit of their project. People need to see the goods. And the most important thing that they need to see is um, a name and a face uh, to the project rather than the project itself with crowdfunding so you have to do it's a bit square you know squirmish that's the right word but you have to the director needs to do a sort of little begging plea before then showing some kind of material but if you look now on Indiegogo Kickstarter Sponsume they all have brilliant examples mm-hmm. so you can just look at the sites themselves and there's loads of them there I can talk to you about it later if you want there was a question here the gentleman in green t-shirt 
Um, yeah, I had a question for Gavin. I was wondering if you might be able to talk a bit more about um, ways of approaching um, actors, agents, and that kind of thing, if you had any advice from your experience, uh, pitfalls as well. Um, well, I mean, essentially just knowing how it works is, I think the, the best thing you can do most of the time with, um, uh, if you have, do you mean for a particular, um, if you want to approach a, a named actor or... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you should just be extre- obviously very clear about um, that it's the dates that you would need them for because how it works on the other end of the phone is you do an availability check and see if they're interested in doing certain work. Um, I might give the um, agent a call in the first instance and just say, you know, hi, I'm producing this um, short film. We're quite interested in this actor. Are they available for these dates? Um, and the agent might sometimes say they don't do short films, put the phone down Um, or they might say, do you have a budget how much money do you have Um, and you might say none, but it's a brilliant script and the director, I think that's when you have to have sometimes like, it's a brilliant part or the director has just done this something that's substantial like a festival that an agent would know an agent would not really know about, say, a short film festival like Clermont Ferrand. They would know about a London or an Edinburgh or Cannes, Berlin or something like that, whatever you've got. Um, and if they're available and they, they, and it seems like you've got through that first gate, you then send an email, very simple email, just like one paragraph. The script is the thing that will sell it at the end of the day, I think, from your experience. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you've got any get any personal connections to actors or agents and I would use those and just get to know people I think you need someone to recommend you like with everything else if someone if you've got like a an a known producer or director in the industry who can recommend you that's even better if you haven't if you're coming without any experience or kind of any kind of background uh, connections someone to recommend you that's the thing that you flag up in your head when you read the email the other end as an agent Fantastic. Thank you. I also would like to introduce, before we uh, wrap up, um, Tom Harper, um, who is working on a, f- a financing scheme for short films, which we are all very interested to know. So if you would like to um, say a few words. I know you've got a, a stand uh, somewhere yes. here upstairs. Hi there. Uh, sorry, I'm hijacking the end of the panel discussion. Uh, my name's Tom Harbert. I'm a film finance and business affairs specialist. Uh, to give you a quick indication of my experience, I used to work for BMS Finance, which financed Moon, Adulthood, Maiden Dagenham, and other things. I worked as an AD and floating producer before that. I've done short films, commercials, music videos, what have you. Um, I've been in the Middle East for three years doing business development out there, and I've just been back in the UK for six weeks. I've got a proposal for you that I'm going to take five minutes to pitch very quickly. If it's something you're interested in, I do have a a stall up in the market, and I'll be there for the next couple of hours, and very happy to talk to anyone about anything, really, but primarily about my idea. Um, Last year, I produced a short film for the first time in a long time uh, for a friend of mine who's commercials director, and uh, it, it, because I've been doing business development, it really rammed home to me quite how inefficient short film production is. You uh, cobble together all of your resources, you pull in your friends and family, you build a structure to produce something, you pay over the odds for pretty much everything that you have to pay for, stuff that you can't get discounts for, stuff like insurance. You pay more on a per-day basis for a short film than you would do if you were paying on a per-day basis for a company. So you think about these inefficiencies, what's the obvious solution? The obvious solution is... Put a company together. Find, let's say, nine or ten other short filmmakers, 
get together, everybody puts in a little bit of money to the company, the company buys shared resources, it buys insurance, it buys a van, it buys walkies, it, whatever it is. So this is kind of obvious, not very interesting. But it has other small aspects to it. For example, VAT reclaim. A lot of short filmmakers don't claim back their VAT. Why not? It's about 8% of your gross budget. You should be claiming it back. So let's say that by getting into this company, that's about a 10% benefit to you of your gross production budget. Not very interesting. What is interesting is that on Tuesday, at least we think it's going to be Tuesday, the finance bill gets royal assent and becomes law. What's interesting in there is something that's called the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme. Now, the government is desperate for people to get money out of banks, out of their mattresses, and put it into small businesses, because small businesses drive the economy. How does government do this? They offer investors incentives. Now, SEIS has the most incredible investment incentive you will ever be offered. But whatever it is you put in, the government gives you 50% back as tax relief in the first year. So if you put 10 grand into a company, you can, in the first year, get five grand back in tax relief. So our people over here who are putting together a, a small company to make short films, well, they should be building one of those companies. Then when they put their money into the company, 50% of it comes back to them. So I mean, that's a whopping great big benefit. 50% there, plus 10% shared resources, VAT, that's 60% of your production budget. We're getting better, right? There are other benefits to SEIS. I won't go into all of them because some of them are quite specific to individuals. But the last one at the back is called loss relief. If you invest into the company and you hold those shares for three years and after three years you sell them and you make a loss, you can take that loss and take it off your income for tax purposes. Now, I'll walk this through because for people who are not used to thinking about tax, there are a lot of nuts and bolts. You put 10 grand into the company, government gives you five back up front. Your cost of investment is five. But you own 10 grand in the company. Let's say the company then uses that 10 to produce your film. So you've produced your film, costing 10, for five. After three years, and let's imagine an apocalyptic worst-case scenario in which your film doesn't get distribution, it doesn't win prizes, there's no revenues at all. So the value of the company is zero. You sell your share, zero. You've made a loss of five grand. For that year, you can take that off your tax bill. Uh, sorry, off your income for tax purposes. So if you have a job and it pays 35 grand a year, that year you only pay tax on 30 grand because you've got a loss of five to take off your income. That's one grand in your pocket you didn't have otherwise. We put 10 grand in, we've got one grand here, so that's another 10% value. So, so far, we've got 50, 60, 70% of your production budget back. I'm still not sensing a great deal of excitement. <laughs> okay, so I'll do you one better. You've got a short film company that's making 10 short films. The obvious thing to do, at least from my perspective, when they're all done, hire a cinema. Put them all on, theatrically. You know, you've got 10 short filmmakers. They're all out there networking. They've got social media. You can get friends, family. Everyone's buying tickets. It doesn't cost very much to forewall a film. You're generating revenues. That's nice. But what's much better is that that makes the production costs eligible for what's called the UK Film Tax Credit. You might have heard of this. Pretty much any feature film shooting in this country gets this. 20% of your net production budget, roughly, so for 18% for our purposes in terms of talking about gross, you can claim back from the government on the production budget. So we have 50. We've got 10. We've got another 10. 
Now we've got another 18. So 88% of your production budget is back before the film has even generated any revenues outside of UK theatrical. Can I just ask, so that now applies for short films, not just feature films then? There's never been any length distinction. The distinction always has been, and I've I've had this approved by HMRC, the distinction always has been that it's intended for theatrical release. But when you do the UK film tax credit application through the BFI, they ask you... The BFI have also told me there's no problem. Okay, no, just because on their their um, application because I've done a tax credit mm. um, it has to be over 72 minutes to get the British to, um, to qualify as a British film to then go through to get the tax claim but if they're changing that that's perfect uh, that's not what the BFI told me but I will chase yeah, up yeah. with them on that um, so essentially that was, that was the proposal unfortunately I can't offer you that as a company perspective because obviously if you're running a limited company for four years there are costs. There are accounting costs, there are legal costs, there are filing costs, there are overheads. So this is my basic proposition to you. You invest 130% of your production budget, you produce at 100% of your production budget, and you have a worst-case scenario of only... When all the cash flows have come back in, you will only have spent 40% of your production budget. Uh, I will be in the market if anyone wants to talk to me. Um, That's pretty much it. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you have any questions that we haven't managed to answer, all of the speakers are going to be here throughout the day. And you can also uh, jot down your questions and leave them with uh, Caroline uh, or Sarah. Thank you very much again. Thank you for listening to this BAFTA podcast. For more information about the Academy and BAFTA archive, please visit www.bafta.org.